Hi, I'm Susan Foch, and when I was 18 years old, I launched a national nonprofit organization out of my freshman college dorm room. Now, with almost a decade of experience under my belt, I'm here to teach you my tried and true tips and tricks for running your own nonprofit or social enterprise and how to build it from the ground up. You're listening to this podcast because you're ready to make a difference in this world. I see you, I hear you, and I'm ready to help you. Now let's make an impact together. You're listening to the Make an Impact Podcast, Episode 8. This week, we've got a very special surprise for you guys. So this past week, I was able to sit down with Sam Provenzano from Chicago, who has got one of the coolest nonprofit resumes turned like LinkedIn guru as he's been job searching in our new fun COVID era. And so we ended up having such a blast on this interview. And the whole first half is about, uh, you know, big donors, big gifts, um, how he was able to get like $50,000 donations from people as individuals, not just companies. And then the second half, we talked about LinkedIn and it ended up being over like two hours of recording. So we are hitting you with two episodes of Sam. The first one will be all about his experiences in nonprofits, uh, creating relationships with big donors, and how you can be cultivating these larger partnerships and relationships with people. And then tomorrow, I'm going to hit you with his LinkedIn episode to tell you all about how he's been getting thousands and thousands of views and hits and recruiters reaching out to him for nonprofit jobs, which is pretty unheard of in, again, the current coronavirus pandemic with millions of Americans out of work. So you're going to want to tune into both of these episodes, but you're especially going to want to come back tomorrow to learn how he's transformed his LinkedIn to be just a recruiting lead generation machine for new job opportunities. So without further ado, Sam, can you please give us a little background about yourself and the philanthropy roadmap that you took to get where you are today? Hi, um, I'm Sam Provenzano, and I'm from Chicago, Illinois. I started my career in nonprofit in 2009, but before that, I was a reporter and news anchor at a local television news station in Bowling Green, Kentucky in 2007. Mm -hmm. Um, And then right from there, you know, I realized that maybe I didn't really love the industry as much as I did. Mm -hmm. Maybe it wasn't the passion that I really thought it was that it was going to bring me that love that I thought it was going to be. Um, And when I interviewed a child from St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and their family uh, during one of my stories, um, I said to myself, oh my goodness, you know, maybe I could be a fundraiser or or get into this new industry, this new field. Um, And and unfortunately, what really made me go was covering uh, this this child's funeral. So that kind of just really made me change and and relook myself in the mirror. And I took a chance. I, I packed my bags and moved to Albany, New York, to work for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital at ALSAC. Um, I was all in charge of all of their uh, fundraising events and, and, and uh, basically everything you can imagine besides individual giving donors uh, from Albany all the way up to Buffalo. So I was in my car. I was meeting with donors. I was meeting with the, the Tri-Deltas that support the, you know, the, the, all those the sororities, the fraternities, businesses. It was fantastic. And then my sister started having the kids, and I'm an uncle, so I wanted to get back home to Chicago um, and, and took a job with the American Cancer Society. Um, a very similar job, but it got me home. Very quickly, I got a job as the Alzheimer's Association as their manager of intermediate giving, uh, where I learned the, the craft about uh, you know uh, mid-level donors, which are the key to major gift fundraising. Mm-hmm. So I then was promoted to the senior manager and of, of that team and, 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 and continued to raise funds and, and really, you know, just hone my craft and, and really hear the stories of donors. And that got me hungrier for more. I love to hear stories. That's why I was a reporter in the beginning. So then I took a job at DePaul University, a great university with a great mission. Um, you know, and from there I was close, you know, working with, you know, uh, prospects and, and alumni with, you know, capacity in the millions, you know, but capacity doesn't necessarily mean anything these days is, you know, you got to meet the donors. So I got to meet with some amazing people from all over the country. I was the regional giving um, associate director of regional giving and plan giving. Uh, And then soon was the um, director of development for the College of Law for a year. Uh, Also, while doing my job as uh, the regional giving officer. 
Um, I then took a job uh, and a chance as vice president of development at a local nonprofit. Um, it wasn't the right fit. It didn't work out. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And here I am now, um, almost a year later, ready to find that next new role. I've rediscovered myself um, and I'm sharing tips and tricks on LinkedIn to be seen. And I'm just in a really good place. And um, I'm just so happy to be on this podcast to share some of my love for nonprofit and fundraising and, and, and just really what, it's, what it means to be a fundraiser today, what it means to build authentic relationships. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have the relationships, you'll never reach your potential in your organization with your donors ever. It just yeah. won't happen. So yeah. I love That's it. my story. I'm obsessed with your story. And also, and I said this to you before we started recording, you are my first interview of someone I haven't actually met in person. So I'm like stoked <laughs> to learn more about you. You know, I'm so, super excited. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> so I gave I'm, you the Cliff Notes version there, my friend. <laughs> which is all good. So I think this interview has got two main parts to it. So I want to start with a lot of your nonprofit experiences and fundraising and donor relations. And then the second half, we are going to get into LinkedIn and the very creative stuff that you've done for job hunting, because obviously you and I are both sitting in the spot <laughs> where we've lost our jobs. And I yep. know there's like millions of other people with us. So I think it'll be great. So let's start with your nonprofit stuff. You have worked with major gifts, development, fundraising galore. What is the biggest thing that you have learned from these positions after you've transferred into the nonprofit sector? You know, when I went into the nonprofit sector from being a reporter, the first thing I, and this is coming from the eyes of a fundraiser, and when you're coming from another organization or another air, uh, a place like, or another industry, my, my apologies there, uh, there's a lot of ego in being a reporter. There's a lot of, in your, you're, you're the TV guy, you're the face of the station. It's really kind of about you. Mm -hmm. right? It's about the station. It's about representing them and all that good stuff. But you're on TV. When it, you transfer into nonprofit, it's about the donor and it's about the organization. It's not about me. It's not mm -hmm. about you. And that's something that you have to learn very, very, very quickly. Some learn quicker than others. Um, but that's something I learned. And, 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 that's, and, and, you, and, and I've taken that with me, with my journey, everywhere I have went because that's who I am as a person, because that's who I was as a reporter too. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be that guy that going up to people and just in their face and not being able to trust them as a journalist. I liked being able to have the rapport with the chief of police or, or the mayor so they can trust me with stories and be the first one with the breaking news. So I took that trust and that ability to, you know, just be yourself into my field. And I think that's really the secret sauce if there was ever such thing, it's being authentic, it's being human, it's being real, vulnerable, and, and being a strong leader and, and having strong leaders. Yeah. If you don't have a strong leader in your nonprofit or your organization, and we can talk more about that, mm -hmm. then, um, you know, it, it, it could be a big red flag. Oh, absolutely. So I love that advice because I think it's, it's like so easier said than done. <laughs> it is people. easier said than done. Yeah. yeah. And it's not the typical answer you might get like, oh, you know, events don't really make money. Like events really aren't going to make, aren't going to sustain your organization. It's what you do after the events. Right. There's advice that you maybe have heard, but, but what about the prequel and the sequel? And that comes from Jim Langley. He's mm. like, Sam, and that's one of my mentors. Mm -hmm. And he says, Sam, Think of it like a movie. You got the prequel and the sequel, and the event is in the middle. If the event, if the prequel wasn't good, if you didn't prepare for your event, your event's not going to be give you what it needs to be for your organization. And if you don't follow up with your donors, if you don't authentically follow up with them and, and, and keep up with them, then that event was a waste of, of time. Yeah. And a waste of money. It's harsh and a waste yeah. of money, a waste of the mission. Mm -hmm. And the donors see it and they can feel it because they're people, right? They're people too. So that's what I've really learned. It's been an incredible ride. It's always a journey. Mm -hmm. There's never such thing as a fundraising expert. You know, we're always yeah. learning, you know, and, and who's an expert right now with the coronavirus in a pandemic and racial tension. Who's, oh. a, who's an expert in this field right, right now? Nobody. And no that one. takes that. And a lot of people can't admit that. Mm -hmm. And, but, but there's a lot of people that can, and you're seeing them on LinkedIn and you're seeing them every day. I'm seeing them with you. There's people that just 
are fighting and doing what they have to do and they believe in what they're doing. Right. But there's also, and about not having an expert, like there's so much ego that you just want to like shake people and be like, look, you none do. of us are doing this right, right now. <laughs> like, exactly. And you know what? Guess come on. used to have an ego maybe. I think I mm-hmm. might've had an ego when I was younger and I, not, mm-hmm. and I think it was more experienced because you know, when yeah. you, when you find success quickly in something, you think you know everything. Yeah. And you think that you can start doing and, and you can replicate it. And sometimes you can't. You cannot replicate experience. Mm-hmm. You can't replicate being in the field. And I have met with some amazing fun, uh, greener fundraisers, fresher fundraisers that have all the knowledge from being in school mm-hmm. and from all the, you know, but they haven't yet had the opportunity to do it in the real world. Mm-hmm. So when you see all these things in the, in the textbooks that make it seem like it's so simple, <laughs> and it's so, and you go and you watch these videos where it's just like, oh, I met with this donor and then this happened and then this happened and bada bing, bada boom, a million dollars. Right. No. What yeah. about those days at night that you were up all thinking about how to make this donor happy? What about those days when you were talking with your leadership and your team and just trying to come up with a strategy? You know, it's really personal. Yeah. And if you're doing it right, it takes time. And sometimes it does keep you up at night, but it shouldn't. This is this is philanthropy. This isn't mm-hmm. sports. This isn't a, a competition, mm-hmm. you know? Even fundraisers are competing against each other inside the workplace. That's so sad because I think sometimes the goals are meant, they actually accidentally or purposely for some put you against each other. So it does have that competition. And that yeah. does work in some sales environments. And it does, but this is also, again, philanthropy, fundraising. Mm-hmm. It's a little different. So you got to be really careful because this is 2020. This is not 10 years ago, even five years ago. And now it's just something different. Yeah. The game is changing. We have to pivot. Yeah. I like what you said about uh, the fact that sometimes the competition really works in a sales setting, but on fundraising, because we talked about this earlier, that <laughs> fundraising essentially is selling, but you're selling like a warm, fuzzy feeling, not yeah. a product or a service. But here's the thing, because I worked in a lot of different sales roles. And yes, the point of that is... I mean, one of the reasons for competition is commission. That's -hmm. one of the reasons why it's successful. Like you don't have that in nonprofits because that would be really weird. It would be strange, right? A commission aspect to fundraising. You know what's funny? Yeah. Yeah. People think that. And I'm sorry, people think that. Like my friends or my family, oh, you just just closed that X dollar gift. You know, don't you get a piece of that? And I said, no. You know, you get a high five sometimes and hopefully... Mm-hmm. When you have a good boss and you're replicating and you're you're growing and you're working with your boss or your manager and your team, then you get promoted. Yeah. Because I think you deserve that. Even you earn that promotion. But that's where metrics come in. That's where having a good manager to talk mm-hmm. to you face to face and go through your goals, adjust those goals if something isn't going right. Smart right. goals. Mm-hmm. Smart goals. Don't set up people to fail. It's the worst thing you can do to a fundraiser. It's the worst thing you can do to a team. And it it, and that's why the turnover is so, so high right now mm-hmm. uh, in our industry. Uh, I heard it was, someone was saying it was used to be like 18 months. Now we're talking like 12 to 14 months, right. you know? So it's just getting smaller and smaller because, you know, these fundraisers are being underpaid. They feel a little bit undervalued sometimes. Um, but there also is that sense of leadership maybe that's lacking. And also right now there's so much panic. And I think people just need to, we all need to be there for each other. Mm-hmm. Let's take away the ego, um, you know, and let's unite. And, you know, I posted that on LinkedIn yesterday. That's not a uh, mirage. That isn't me trying to gain a follower or two, right? I'm not trying to be a LinkedIn superstar or super whatever they call those social media stars. I'm trying to get a job and I'm trying to inspire other people. And right. we'll talk about that later, you know, but Absolutely. that's what philanthropy is all about. Right. Can and what's I what's happening today? Quickly pivot because I this you said something that is really funny to me because I've been working on and kind of testing out this theory. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the five love languages? I am. So here's the yeah. thing: love languages. While that's more for your personal relationships, they also translate so much to your work environment. And there are five love languages True. for your work like appreciation. And I've been testing this a lot because especially in nonprofits, because you don't get a cut of that. Like, you know, if you brought in a million dollar gift, you're not taking home a percentage of that. And so I've been kind of playing with, and I think this is important for for for-profits 
too, but specifically in nonprofits, because you're not getting those extra bonuses. I think it's so important to know as like a manager, what your people's love languages are so that you can appreciate them to the best of their ability so that they still feel fulfilled and kind of, you know, warmed mm. up. Because mm. some people like public mm. praise. Some people like private praise. Some people get very uncomfortable with that. Some people like a $5 Starbucks gift card that you surprise them with. Yes. Simple enough because, you know, if they're like, I think it matters so much when you have to know what your people need to feel truly appreciated because it's so different. But if you You can can like see me on the screen, I am, you can see me right now. I am, I I just want to jump in and I just did because I get so excited because you're telling the facts. Yeah. That is what it's like. Keep going with that. So how did that, when you've seen that happen, how did that inspire you? Or, or what did you think about when you saw this actually saying, oh my goodness, this is, this is how it should be. So it actually was, so it worked again, I've worked in a lot of for-profit and sales positions and nonprofit, but the big one that really tipped me off was evaluating my own mom and then also a really good friend of mine and I'm gonna keep her name out of it because she works for a very large nonprofit. but I was watching both of them talk about their grievances with their bosses so for my mom for example she is a really big like words of affirmation and acts of service person and it actually makes her really uncomfortable to get the big uh, public praise like in like their big company meetings but one-on-one it means so much more to her her to get the private praise just in like a one-on-one meeting to know that she's really feeling valued because that makes her feel more valued than doing it in front of a big group. And then for my friend, she's a really big words of affirmation and quality time person. And she was having a lot of anxiety about her boss and some weird like things that were happening with like hierarchy and who was having what positions. And she was feeling really self-conscious that she was trying to be phased out in some way. And so she was requesting a conversation with her boss and it was going to be like a private lunch, like just the two of them because they're spread out in a bunch of weird offices. And the boss was like, yeah, okay, for sure. But then kept like pushing it off and pushing it off. Like, you know, things just it kept being really easy for them to reschedule it and things kept popping up for her. And that was just consistently making her, my friend, feel devalued because this lunch, which would have been this quality one-on-one time, kept getting pushed off like it wasn't a priority. And while that's not how the boss intended it at all, that's what it meant for her because it wasn't matching her love language. And it's just the same way that, you know, feeling devalued in the workplace through your love language is the same as not feeling loved in a romantic relationship or in a family relationship, you know, with your partners, because it all just goes back to how we want to be loved on. And the other thing too, I mean, look at a, look at a gifts person, right? Sometimes I love to surprise people with like a $5 Starbucks gift card in their inboxes. And to some people that means more than any amount of praise I could give them one-on-one in a, in a text or on social media, like that means more. So it's knowing who your team is and how they need to be loved and appreciated on. That's so well said. And, you, and guess where, who else that works for prospects and donors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that. And that's what I, that's what made me think of that. So my mm-hmm. old boss at, and I'm going to give a shout out to Andrea Wynn. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was, uh, she's now at Loyola university and, and really, I think she believes she's vice president and so mm-hmm. she's doing amazing. Sorry, Andrea, if you're watching and listening, I didn't get your, um, thing right (laughs) your title (laughs) but anyway uh she was one of she was my best boss Mm. and she wasn't a cool boss you know she was cool anyway but she was my best boss because she did that very exercise with us Mm. and we were all sitting there like okay what is this what is Andrea doing you know because we're like she's kind of you know she's a new boss or that for me been at DePaul for years and years and she was so Mm -hmm. amazing and uh, we did this we did that Mm. and we did that exercise where we found out how we liked to be managed, how we take certain things. Like if someone says X to Sam, he might take it certain way, but yeah. Susie might take it another way, mm-hmm. you know? So how do we, how do I make sure that if there is an issue or so even if there is an issue or if there's uh, praise or if there's just conversation going or an email that, you know, you might take it a certain way. The other person might take it a whole completely different way mm-hmm. and you need to know how they take it. So Andrea yeah. really know how to work with me. Yeah. You know, and she knew me and she knew when she needed to step in. And, but she also knew when I needed my time and she knew when she wanted to watch me grow. 
That's yeah. what a good boss does. And she was there for me from the beginning all the way to when she moved on from DePaul to go to the Loyola. So gotcha. that's really what a good manager is about. And yeah. what a good manager is very difficult to find, but a good manager also teaches you what it is to be a good manager. And right. so when you're at that level as a vice president or whatever leadership role you go into next, uh, whoever it is out there and you're managing people, remember that, you know, just yeah. be a good person. And uh, be authentic and and be there for your staff and listen to them and coach them. Yeah. Don't be being nice doesn't mean you're a good manager. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that's what it meant to be the cool manager. I wanted to, you know, back when I thought of being a manager it was like, oh, you could, st- I don't care where you work, you, or, you know, or don't worry about that, or you can do this, you can do that. I don't care. I don't need to talk to you. Just do your own thing. No, mm-hmm. a manager should be a part of your team. They shouldn't yeah. micromanage. But, you know, share your good thoughts with me. I love having staff. I had three staff my last job. And I love just getting, you know, talking to them on the, about uh, just being a human. Mm-hmm. You know, how's your day going? Or if there's something wrong, going, you know, just be a good manager. Because yeah. then when you're a good manager, they're going to work even harder. Because mm-hmm. I worked even harder than I knew I could under a certain boss like Andrea because I wanted to show her that I could do it and I want and then I kept doing it and doing it and soon I was teaching other people you know that's what it's about it's about playing it forward it's not about ego and holding in all these things that you're learning it's about sharing it Mm -hmm. what happened philanthropy used to be about relationships it used that's what it used to be about fundraising used to it wasn't transactional as you're seeing right now yeah um, you know, St. Jude, Danny Thomas, you know, writing a, his story on like a little napkin at a bar with his friends. This is the dream I have. Yeah. I, I love bet it. people laughed at him, you know, but they helped and look where it is now. I know. And so that's what it's all about. Too. And that's what manager I wanted to be. Yeah. So when I became the vice president of development in my last job, I made sure that I treated every single person with mm-hmm. the utmost respect. Yeah. I don't care if you are cleaning my, the floors mm-hmm. and I don't care if you are the, you know, the CEO, yeah. I treat you with respect. And some people might not understand that, but when you're in a development setting, when you are the vice president of development or the director of development, but especially when you're up there, yeah. you are the leader. They're looking up to you. Don't lead by fear. Right. Don't lead by fear. Not right now. It's not the way to go. It's not going to help your organization mm-hmm. and you got to do something about it. But that's a whole nother, that's not my world. That's not my expertise. Yeah. I'm just here trying to inspire those fundraisers. But I'm right? just like and that's, that's why you're here. Hands. <laughs> yeah, raise hands. You know, like, it. It's about having these real conversations that I was very much afraid to have mm-hmm. uh, a year or two ago. Right. You know, you have to look in deep within yourself, especially right now, and find out where you want to go in your career. If you don't have a job right now, now is the time to reinvent yourself. Mm -hmm. Look at you. Look at me. Look at other people out there that are inspiring you and me, both of us. Absolutely. But here we are. We're doing it. We're not we're we're not experts at any. We're learning and, you know, and we're growing, but we know what we're doing. Yeah. And now it's our time to hopefully pass this on to so many other people. Mm-hmm. This That's is what, like, yeah. it's the snowball effect because it's like we're yes. not experts, but we've got like a pretty good like base of a snowball. Yeah. Let's give each well, other a pat on the back a little bit. We know what we're talking about. Yeah. Just because of, <laughs> you know, just because we might not be, you know, having 25 years of experience in one place or in an industry doesn't mean we don't know what we're talking about, especially with this new generation. It's next generation, but it's today's generation. It's tomorrow's generation of fundraisers. Mm -hmm. It's happening now. Mm -hmm. We are leading this charge and we all need to help each other unite. Mm -hmm. It's, It's not competition. And that's what you realize as well as you get older. And trust me, when you put me anywhere else, you've seen my posts. We've gotten to know each other. I'm as competitive as it gets. But I am no wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. I am just me. And people appreciate it. And I just go with it. I I can't. And just like you, you you find out who you are as you get along this journey. And good for you for finding it. It seems that whatever, you know, in your 20s, you know, some people find it later. You know, and that's great. Yeah, it's great. People are finding it right now, and I'm so proud of them. Yeah, and that's the thing I think about 2022. It's uh, it's bringing out like the best and worst of all of us, but it's showing us also things that maybe we didn't know we were even capable of until now. Absolutely, you're so right, and I think it's so moving and inspiring. If you could take a a step back, but right now it's it's really hard to take a step back for some. I get it. For sure, I get it. So. 
this kind of brings up another point I want to talk about in fundraising and all of your experience. We hear a lot of no's. (laughs) We hear a lot Mm. of people that are not going to give us money. They're not going to give us their time, you know, in kind, monetary, volunteer, Mm. whatever it is. We hear a lot of Mm -hmm. no's. So how do you, well, two things. So how do you like keep up your enthusiasm and not let that get to you? And then also like, because you ran a team, how do you inspire other people if they're kind of getting down on themselves? Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. how do you kind of keep that momentum up if you're here? If, cause sometimes we go through seasons yes. of a lot of no's. Oh my so, gosh. Like, how, it's, do we keep, how do you keep it up? You know what, for me, let's, let's, let's be real here, right? Let's be real. Let's, this is the vulnerability I'm talking about. Eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had no idea. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know exactly how I would do that. It was hard. Yeah. It was harder to take the no's. But then as you learn to get the no's, as you hear more of them and you talk and learn about your craft and you're talking to your boss, you start to get, it's almost, and it sounds funny to say, it's almost like dating. I mean, we all date, we go through some really bad dates and we go through some really good dates and it's just the way it's going to happen. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's kind of I, how I like to look at it. Um, but now when, when you get a no and, and even then, no, you know, eventually you're, you know, why tell me why, you know, and sometimes there's a great, you know, they'll tell you why maybe there's no connection. Maybe they just are not that into you. Maybe they're just not that into your organization. Maybe you missed the boat. Maybe it's too late or maybe they're just not into you. They're just, it's not happening. And, and then you have to, you know, you bless and release them. You know, sometimes people just aren't into you and you bless them. Thank you so much for listening to me. Thank you so much for hearing me. Thank you so much for being honest with me. At least you told me. And now I can at least go back into my organization's prospect pool, take them off of that list and help the next fundraiser so they don't have a prospect pool that isn't quite accurate. Mm-hmm. Some, well, no, Sam, I'm never going to be, you know, $50,000 gift, but that, you know, I'm never going to be that, you know, and they give 10000 Mm-hmm. But I know deep down, if they gave me 10000 I bet they might be able to, you know, but I got to cultivate them for this 10000 mm-hmm. you know, afterwards. What am I doing after? Am I showing their impact? So for me, it's about um, just, you know, not taking it personally. And mm-hmm. that comes with experience. That's what we talked about earlier. I can't, you can't replicate a no in an example with my boss or with your friends or with me and you right now. It's just, yeah. it's that innate it's in you. And the only way you're going to know how you react is the first time it happens. Mm. That's really the truth. I've never said it out loud before. I think that's the truth. <laughs> I really think that's the truth. You got to get the no first. And someone can tell you what it feels like. You know what it's like to get your heart broken. You know, you got to feel that. Yeah. You got to feel. And then the next time you get your heart broken, you're smarter. Mm. You're braver. You're wiser. And just like you, that next solicitation, I promise you, you still might get a no. But I promise you, it's going to get a little easier, a little yeah. easier to take, a little easier to take. And then you're like, okay, I'm fine with this because there's thousands and thousands of prospects in our pool or hundreds or whatever it is. And you don't want to get fixated on one prospect mm-hmm. or a group of prospects, you know, it, that's what it's about. Yeah. Oh, I think I that's how you get the experience. It. I like how yeah. you related it to heartbreak because I think that makes it a lot more uh relatable to like yeah other- that's right to yeah. other people to like people listening right now that don't even understand what it's like to get a no in fundraising or sales or their first everyone remembers what it feels like mm-hmm. but we don't talk about it yeah why <laughs> it's okay and i think that's what i always teach my team so yes about mm-hmm. my team oh my god sam i didn't they only gave us a thousand dollars i asked for ten thousand and they come back thinking that i'm going to be mad at them and like and sometimes you sit down you sit down with them and you're just like okay great job kudos to you you know did you do everything you did did you try your hardest yes did you did you um you know take your time with it and then they answer did you do this and sometimes they're like no i did okay well maybe that's what happened Mm -hmm. not over yet they now cultivate that tone you know introduce yourself and now when you're doing the next when you meet with the next prospect you know you now you learned congratulations Mm -hmm. good job you learned a lesson Awesome. I wish I can give bonus points on my metrics when I'm helping my, my, with other funders, they deserve, you deserve some sort of metric for, for that. (laughs) Right. It's a big deal. Yeah. Speaking and and also speaking of disqualifying a donor, I think you mentioned this Mm -hmm. offline. When you disqualify a donor, you're really helping your organization. Yeah. And there's some organizations that will give you credit for the DQ of a major gift prospect. And Mm -hmm. I think that's smart. 
But the fear of the leader is they're thinking that the fundraiser didn't work hard enough, so they shouldn't be disqualified. And that's when you don't have the trust between your leadership. Now, right. if you're there, you know, so at DePaul, for example, they had a great news management system. And, you know, if there was a, a donor that wasn't ready um, or, you know, was the kids were in school or they just going through a divorce or they're sick or they have no money right now for whatever reason, but they said, keep me in, we'll put them in a pool and we just labeled it like later, not now, just to always have. Yeah. And then, um, you know, so you want to make sure, but then you also want to go through, okay, I'm disqualifying a prospect. Here's why. And then you want to list those reasons why. So then your team can, you don't want to just DQ a prospect that you just didn't work hard enough on. Maybe you didn't even know. It's not a shady thing. Or maybe right. you didn't think of a creative way. Uh, but sometimes no means no. And you just got to listen. And I have been, I've seen fundraisers go toe to toe with their bosses. Like, I, I want to DQ him because they know that it's ruining their, their goals. And like their boss, people keep bringing up in the meetings, like, who's talking to this? And, and you're just like, he said, no, what do you want from me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're waiting for the next miracle to happen. The next guy or girl to come in to close this miracle gift. It's not going to happen. Right. But it could happen. A, with but someone it could else. happen with someone else. Right. But like if you just pivot. Yeah. Yes. You mm-hmm. know, and you just never know. You never right. know what can happen. But sometimes a no is a no. And it doesn't matter if you have the Wizard of Oz coming. Mm-hmm. They're no, you know, move on, you know, and if they say not now, put them later. If they have, a, if they want to cultivate a pledge, mm-hmm. really, my what I've started to do in the last couple of years, when they are in a pledge, a three-year pledge, a four-year pledge, you don't want to be too much on pledges after four or five years. Um, but after they're done with the pledge, during the pledge, you're cultivating, you're showing the impact of their gift, and then maybe eight or ten months out, you're also prepared for the major gift ask that's going to be coming. And I think they're prepared for it because you've been talking to them. You've been cultivating them. They haven't given you money in four years in their minds, you know, cause there's, right. it's a pledge. Right. And you know, now is, and then you start cultivating a plan and then you talk to them and you know how you do it. You just, you ask them, people ask about making the ask. What about the soft ask? What happened to that? You know, people, Oh, sorry. My sister was calling me on the phone. You're fine. Uh, people, um, people don't remember the soft ask or they don't even know about the soft ask because I didn't even know about it either. Or I knew about it, but I didn't know how to, what it was called. And that's just when you're, you know, a few months down the road with the donor, are we at a place, um, Susan, where we are at, where we can talk about the impact that you want to make on this organization? Are we there yet? Cause I'm getting the sense that you want to make an impact right now. Mm-hmm. And then they listen and then you, they pause, they look at you. There's a silence. And then that's what it's about. Okay, this is just like dating. Girl, this <laughs> is a couple exciting. Of she's like, okay, but a few months in, we're like, but are we ready to have this conversation yes, yet? Are exactly we here? It's like dating, girl. <laughs> it is. It is. And that's relatable. And then people can yeah. be like, ah. Oh. And that's what I'm saying. There's so many people that have maybe said the same exact message that I'm saying, but it's about semantics. Right. It's about how we say things sometimes and how mm-hmm. we're delivering it, that message. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think as you grow up, as you learn, as you mature, as the ego goes away, you start to learn and you start to real embrace the the knowledge that's out there. There's always someone bigger, better, smarter. And that's great. You know, and you're only as big as you're only as good as your last, you know, whatever. You know, Mm -hmm. keep going. Yeah. Be humble. Be humble. I'm just saying, you know. On a non-humble note, I think we should call Mm -hmm. Bradley Cooper and we'll make a new He's not that into you, but for donors. And for donors. And that, that was one of my very first posts, you know? And that was a post that didn't get a lot of attraction, right? Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, this is going to be funny. But that's the thing about, you just never know what's going to work and what's not going to work with donors, with LinkedIn, with anything in life, with your podcast. But you got to take a chance. Mm-hmm. You don't take a chance, you're not going to get there. Right. You're not going to get to your peak. Mm-hmm. And if you don't take a chance, and if you don't fail, then you're really really screwed because those are lessons that will keep you forever and everyone has failed every single person that you'll ever meet in your life has failed at something absolutely so i want to ask you about this um you're obviously very skilled in what you do development is fundraising don't sell yourself short you are but here's the thing so when i look because again i was just like creeping on like your linkedin before this 
and it, with you. you know, and it's, <laughs> it seems like the common theme has been kind of like health, healthcare, um, nonprofits, but there's not necessarily a consistent mission. So like, how do you stay like fueled to fight for these missions when it's not necessarily like the same mission? Cause like you didn't stay with like St. Jude, right? Like you, you know, yeah. Yeah, sure. That's a great point. You know, for me in my career, and that's a great question. All of my career choices have been made for reasons. Mm -hmm. There's a story for each one. Yeah. And I think, you know, the one I think here, yeah, this is younger. There's nothing. Here's the vulnerability again. Here's Mm -hmm. Sam's career right out there for everybody. When (laughs) I took, which is fine. So when I took that job, when I left Alsac St. Jude in Albany, New York to get closer to my family, mm-hmm. I really probably should have stayed at St. Jude a little longer because that move was lateral, but I did meet some great people. So I can't, I met some mentors of mine through that, that quick job that got me home. Mm-hmm. I didn't do the homework enough to really like realize that it was a lateral move. And it kind of just kind of, you know, but there was a passion for the American Cancer Society regardless because my aunt Kathy had breast cancer at that time and she okay. still has it now. She's a survivor, um, you know, and then the Alzheimer's at the very same time that I was going. So when I was at American Cancer Society, my best friend's mother, mm. and I have her prayer card on my, she got diagnosed with Alzheimer's in her 50s. And I didn't even know how to say the word Alzheimer's. Mm. And I saw this opening, but I saw intermediate gifts and I mm-hmm. heard about my friend's story. So I took the job. Mm-hmm. And then with DePaul, I have fam- I grew up a DePaul Blue Demon for 25, 30 years. I was going to games as a child. Mm-hmm. You know, my family's worked there. Um, and then Haymarket Center, you know, we have addiction is one of the biggest things out there right now. And substance use disorder and mental health treatment facility, you know, and my families and friends are, are, are in recovery everywhere we are. There's mission. Mm-hmm. So you've got to follow your mission and follow your heart. Um, and follow the position. Don't just take a job to have a job. Stakes are high right now, so I can't necessarily tell you otherwise. But I can. But still, my advice would still be true. Uh, don't take that next job unless it's the right fit. You ask the questions and you feel good and you're confident that you can do it. Mm-hmm. But I think awesome. it's following the mission. You yeah. know, following your heart right. or whatever you want, cheesy as heck. But follow your intuition. Right. Follow what you do. But trust your journey. Do mm-hmm. I wish I could have stayed at St. Jude for three more years? Sure. Mm-hmm. Do I wish I was uh, had 10 more pounds of muscle? Yeah. So it's just not going to happen. You know, like it just didn't happen. It's not, it's the past. Yeah. And sometimes we have a really hard time moving away from the past and the what ifs yeah. as fundraisers because our careers are so quick and the, the turnover is so fast and people are telling you, why are you leaving? Why are you going there? What happened there? What did... And it's just the fact that the, this is just like any other industry. It just mm-hmm. has the word fun in it. So people don't understand it. And they think it's cool all the time, not 24 seven, easy peasy job. Yeah. No, this is one of the most um, courageous jobs, um, fun jobs. It's given me a sense of purpose. And I don't even have a job right now, but this <laughs> industry, <laughs> this industry has just motivated me and it's so much bigger than me. And to realize that, a couple of days before I turned 36 is the coolest thing you can do as a fundraiser, as someone in any industry to really look back at your career. Cause we all have that time right now. Look back at your career or your school. If you're just starting your career, find what made you happy. What made you smile? What made that first job offer you got in development? Remember that, how that feels. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really feel like this job is going to feel that next role. It's going to feel like, all of those emotions are going to come. And I'm right there. I'm so close. And so many people are. Right. You've got to just keep pushing. Mm-hmm. I know. And if <laughs> I like it too, because if we stick with our metaphor of dating throughout the whole thing, dating. it's yes. the same thing where it's like, you know, for finding jobs and kind of find that right fit, you're not going to find any like Joe Schmo off the street and be like, well, you kind of sort of fit. So I'm just going to sure. like shackle myself. But guess who does like, that? But how many people do we know? <laughs> like too many people do that, but here, but you're not supposed to, you're supposed to find the right fit. Exactly. You know? And it's like, you're going to try out a couple of things that don't work, but you can't just take the first like offer. No, that you can't, you know? That could That's so others. funny you said that because I was, thinking, you know, you got it. I was just like, yeah, it's so true. So yeah. true. I, I like this metaphor we're keeping up. Now. I love it. Me too, because it's so, what I love to use. 
Running a business, working your nonprofit, or just simply making an impact takes a lot of energy, which means you need the drink of champions, coffee. Specifically, you need Door County Coffee, a gourmet coffee roastery on a mission to bring you the best coffee on the planet. And that isn't hard when they only roast the top 2% of Arabica beans grown in the entire world. Try any of their medium or dark roasts, like my personal favorite, the Heroes Blend. Or you can try one of their almost 100 delicious flavors like Highlander Grog, Frosted Cinnamon Buns, or Vanilla Creme Brulee. They ship all across the country, so try your first pot today by going to DoorCountyCoffee.com and using the code IMPACT for 15% off your order. That's I-M-P-A-C-T for 15% off at DoorCountyCoffee.com. And get caffeinated today. Okay, so you've, you've again, worked for some of the most, like, big-name nonprofits from St. Jude, American Cancer, Alzheimer's, a big university. So let's talk a little bit about uh, one of my other favorite topics, which is company culture. Because here's the thing. As nonprofit people, we're not necessarily paid the same as, like, our for-profit friends and Fortune 500 companies. So it's like there has to be so much more that's getting us out of bed every morning, including just like feeling fulfilled. But I think a lot of that is also company culture, right? Um, Tell me a little bit like what, because you've worked with some of the biggest ones and I'm not trying to ask you to like, oh, no, 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 you know, talk about someone, but I just, you know, what have you learned about like nonprofit company culture to make sure that like you and your team are like getting out of bed every day? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I think you know, I go back to my times with, um, you know, there's times in your career or you will have times in your career um, where you know what it feels like to have a good team and you know what it feels like to have that camaraderie amongst each other, the collaboration, mm-hmm. we're fluid, but we're also learning at the same time. So I had that for quite a while. Um, and I think it's just the the simple things. It's saying good morning. It's you know, bringing in coffee once in a while and just, you know, talking about your day and having that one-on-one time, carving that out with your team. If mm-hmm. you're the leader or not, you know, making sure you're carving out, I'm just speaking as a manager. So carving out with your team, because that means a lot to the fundraisers as well. So, you know, when you're carving out one-on-one time, when you're, you know, once a quarter, just going out and not really talking about work, but how are you? Mm-hmm. How are you doing? Going out and taking on a little field trip for the day. You know, instead of doing your meeting, you know, in the office, do it outside. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're not feeling well, you know, work from home or now really you should be able to work from home. If you're a major gift officer, in my opinion, and this is my opinion only, but I believe there's millions of people that obviously feel like <laughs> I believe that you should, it doesn't matter where you work in, ter- in terms of, of being a major gift officer. However, a lot of people don't know how to work from home. So as a green fundraiser, a fresh fundraiser, it's going to be, it could be challenging because it's not like you're, it's not what you think it is. Working from home is not what people think it is. I've done it. It's fun, but it's also challenging. Yeah. And you don't get the camaraderie. So um, I I think that camaraderie is is, is key, but even in coronavirus pandemic, it's, it's um, doing these kind of, doing a Zoom call, you know, making sure that face to face interaction is there but what does it really mean for culture i don't even know if i answered it there um Mm -hmm. it's not about dress code it's not about you know ping pong tables to be cool it's not about having beer at the end of the week with your team that's not culture to me that's fun but that's not culture culture is having that feeling like you're you're not you're with your your friends your 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 colleagues Mm -hmm. the sense of a team uh, open door policy. Um, you know, you you're you have an issue with a prospect. You don't know how to what to do. There's not that fear of going to your boss and asking a question that you deem stupid, because we all hear that saying. There's no such thing as a stupid question, and that's true, especially in this industry. I want to hear yeah. questions. Yeah. I I ask questions. I don't, and I want them to, you to ask questions. So yeah. whether I'm interviewing or they're interviewing me, because I'm doing it both. I'm like doing all these different things. I'm on different roles for certain. I'm I'm, I'm a mentor to some. I'm a mentee to many. Mm-hmm. I'm you know. So it's like really strange to be in this fun space. Yeah. Um. But that's what I think culture is about. It's just about that being and not setting people up to fail. Um. Mm-hmm. And not on purpose either, but just being realistic about your goals. If you can't meet your goals, anyone's not going to, you don't feel good about that. Especially if your goals were set up so badly that you didn't, you had no chance. 
So how do you think you're going to feel as a fundraiser when you're just doing this for what? By 2% increase? That's not worth it for some. So then they go to the next job right. that pays them higher. There's the, that's the truth. That's not just, that's not me doing that, but there's so many people that have done that. And I have done that. What am I talking about? That's what happens. Yeah. We're people. We're people. Right. It's, you know, and, and, and it's not personal sometimes. And sometimes you take it personally. Why didn't I get a raise? Why didn't I get the promotion? What happened here? And then you're in your head and then you're in your own worst enemy. Then you're toxic. Then you're getting, then you're on to the next job and it's not a good transition for you. Right. You don't want that to happen to you or a fundraiser. It happens a lot. You yeah. know, they get, they're so upset about not being wherever they were at that they, they, they just move on and. The manager had no idea because there was no communication. Right. Um, the metrics, no one even did their year-end review. Yeah. I've heard it all. And mm-hmm. I've talked to 124 people in two months since in, uh, from LinkedIn. 122. Dang. I didn't tell you that. I forgot about no. that. 122. Maybe two and a half months. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Because oh. that's what it's about. Because I'm hungry for knowledge. I'm, and I want people to know that they're not alone. Yeah. And whatever they're going through. Yeah. Plus it's, you know, there's a pandemic going on perspective. Let's, let's put things a little bit in perspective, but let's do better as an industry and we can, and we are Mm -hmm. believe some people are for sure. So kind of on that note, so I've just seen from things that you've posted. So Mm -hmm. the very unique stuff that you've done with, first of all, like your Instagram account, Sammy Philanthropy, Ah, and then your LinkedIn stuff, which we will get to in a minute. Sure. Um, it's led to some to some really great job offers. You've been getting sure. messages from recruiters, um, but you've been picky about it. So let's talk about what are some like deal breakers for you that you're not going to accept like at a new job, which again, that, this whole thing. Now I'm like obsessed with this dating metaphor because it's the I same know. thing. Once you go on a date, exactly. now you learn your deal breakers for the next date. So exactly. talk to me about some of those. Well, with LinkedIn and and the, and the and the Sammy philanthropy on Instagram, there's a reason why I'm doing that. I really I know how important culture is, and I know how important people it is to me mm-hmm. that philanthropy is viewed and fundraising is viewed a certain way. Mm-hmm. So when I'm posting my views, my stories, my strategies, my lessons, my failures, whatever I'm posting, it's because of that. I want them to see that those things about me. So when they do contact me which they are, which I'm so humbled. And I know this motivation can stop anytime. I know that. And I hope it doesn't because it's really, it's true. But I know it can stop anytime. That's what it's about. You know, I mean, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. I want to be seen by the right people, by people that believe in me, by people that understand me. And then when you do have these interviews like I'm having, I can be much more um, at ease knowing that I don't have to explain necessarily everything. And I do anyway, but... (laughs) You know, at least I got a piece of Sam Provenzano or they're getting right. a piece of me early on so I can stand out amongst the pack. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really what it's about. Um, and I think I'm looking for, and I've said no to jobs that, you know, right now it's scary to relocate. I am open to relocating, but certain areas are not very safe. They're safer than others. So I'm looking mm-hmm. at that. I think candidates are looking at that. Yeah. So I think um, remote opportunities are really in- interesting right now because I can have a conversation with the donor. I've had conversations with yeah. uh, donors from other organizations as a board member at the place I'm at now. I'm using Zoom to contact, to make solicitations. I'm using, I'm getting no's on, on Zoom and FaceTime and I'm doing work for no money. It's okay because I love what I do because I know there's an end game to it. I'm not giving my trips and strategies out for free. I love what I do and I want to help people too. Um, So that's a, that's a big one, but it's a mission for me. It's mission and city. I got it. It, It's important as a fundraiser to find the right mission Mm -hmm. and to find the right um, leadership counselor or the the team. You want to make sure you can meet your team. That's hard now because you really can't do it in person. Some people, mm-hmm. so you want to make sure that you know you're able to do some of those things. And that's what I look for. I look for the mission. I'm looking for the team camaraderie. How are they pivoting right now? Because I'm ask- and it's kind of strange. I'm asking the questions all of a sudden because you know it's it's a team. You're seeing more. They're being open to. They're hearing me. I'm hearing them. So I think it's that sense of. We are human. So there are people that understand kind of where we all are right now. And that's inspiring, kind yeah. of, if you think about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, I think that's what I'm looking, you know, it's just about mission. Salary is very important. You know, know your worth. Yeah. Know your worth right now. 
You know, some of these people have not had jobs in months and years. Um, they're not going to take a step down. Right. They need that next job in their career. But some people are taking that job because they have no other choice. Right. And we all know when you take a job that you don't love, mm-hmm. you take a job that you're not passionate about, especially as a fundraiser, I guarantee you, you will be out in a year. You will leave. I guarantee yeah. you. You won't last. You'll get you'll get fired. Whatever happens. And that's kind of cool. It's fine. It's all no big deal. But mm-hmm. it's going to happen. I guarantee you in the next year or two, if you took a job that you're not happy with, that you hate, but it's a job and it paid really well and had all the titles or whatever the heck it was, and you hated it, and you saw the red flags, mm-hmm. but you took it anyway, oh man, buckle yeah. up, baby, because you're in for a rough ride, but I'm there for you, so you call me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So I've got a very serious question to wrap up sure, this half sure. of the interview, because um, you're 10 years into I am. the nonprofit sector. Have you ever thought about just starting your own organization? You know, I have thought about that. And I have, I'm really interested in um, cold cases and, and, and people that have lost, that have lost loved ones and they don't know where their loved ones are, or maybe something bad happened to them. My uncle was murdered when I was, I, when I wasn't born yet. So I've heard the stories and I know the impact that that had in our family. Yeah. So I really want to start like a make a wish um, for those victims or families that don't have the money to keep finding their loved ones, such as, mm. and then there's some cases out there that are break my heart. Yeah. Um, so that's my goal. But also, you know what? Guess who's got a hell of a lot more to learn, Sammy. <laughs> and I want to coach. I want to coach. I want to manage. I want to close mm. more gifts. I want to, I want to get that biggest gift ever. But I know that all comes with the relationships and finding the right job and having the confidence mm-hmm. again. You know, sometimes in your career, you go up and down in confidence. Yeah. And no, no one really talks about that. Get a, get a, get a coach, get mm-hmm. a mentor, mm-hmm. get a therapist. What's going to get you by? Especially right now, we all got to be wary of our mental health and be aware of that. I'm sorry, aware of that mental health. Yeah. Um, as a fundraiser, as uh, anybody, CEO of, a, of an organization such as yourself, mm-hmm. I mean, you got to, Life is changing. We have to pivot. It's really about finding that next role and, and taking learning a little bit, learning more, honing in on my craft, but also taking chances. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be more, ta- I'm going to take some chances and I am, you know, and if it works out great, if it doesn't, I know I'm strong enough to keep going. Mm-hmm. For sure. Right. Well, it's just, minimum, it's always, you know, I was like, you've earned a number one fan in me today. So, oh my God. Thank you. Always well, you know, it's corner. <laughs> You know, I appreciate that. And so many people are, and I, and, and just, if they are listening from LinkedIn, you know, when we, when, when I am going to post this, of course, um, thank you. You know, I hear you, I see you and, and there's no, there's no time for ego. You know, that's Mm -hmm. just what it's about. This isn't a, this is just me today. Oh, that was so good. I hope that you guys have loved on Sam as much as I did getting to record with him. So now the fun part is this wraps up today's episode and I want you guys to come back tomorrow. I will be releasing a bonus episode that is all about Sam's tips and tricks for LinkedIn, how he's been utilizing LinkedIn, these new tactics he's been using. Cause like most of us, he's had it for over 10 years and he's done something drastically different for the last like, 75 days and found some really cool ways to kind of hack their algorithms so that he's getting noticed for new jobs. He's getting reached out to by recruiters and lots of different opportunities. Uh, One of the reasons why I found him for this podcast. So come back tomorrow. His episode on LinkedIn tips and tricks for job hunting will be out then. So we'll see you then. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Make an Impact Podcast. If you enjoyed yourself, would you do a little rate, review, subscribe dance? And if you really enjoyed yourself, would you share this on social media so someone else could catch the impact bug? Until next time, friend, I can't wait to see what kind of impact you make on your world.